0: Uh, if you want to turn there, of uh, the Pew Bibles, a little black Bible here, you can turn to page 929. And you'll find there a book that's just three chapters long. Some people would say Habakkuk, I say Habakkuk. So you can, you say potato, I say potato type thing. This is Habakkuk. And we're going to take a look kind of at, at just a, a quick survey, really, of the entire book. So rather than reading all the, the scripture texts for today, I'll be doing that along the way. So turn there to page 929, and we'll take a look at this. Um, This is a really interesting book, and I think it's quite refreshing as well. I don't know how many of you ever think that uh, you're still trying to figure out what it means to have faith. Well, how how do I put this all together? I, I don't have it entirely figured out. There's lots of questions. Even if you said, yes, I believe then life goes on and it doesn't seem to all uh, fit together. Um, may, I, I'm guessing you've probably been to that point at some point where we you're looking at God, I thought I had this figured out and now I just don't get it. And it's not just life and faith, it's God Himself. Like it seems like I don't understand what's happening in light of what I thought a category I had about you was. And if, if, you're, if you've ever been there, you're not alone. And this isn't just people who are young in their faith who ask those kind of questions. Habakkuk was a prophet. He was somebody who got endorsed and said, you're my man. You're going to speak to this generation the very words of God. And most prophets, as we know, receive messages from God. Like this is an oracle, you'll see a message from God and speaks to the people. What's interesting about Habakkuk is the way this book begins is it's Habakkuk speaking to God, saying, I don't get it. What's going on? I can't fit this all together. And he's asking questions of the God who's told him to go and speak to the people. So this is someone like he's got a seminary degree. He's written books. Back in his day, he's gone on tour and signing bonuses and everything like that. And he says, wait a second, do I really believe this? How do I, does this really make sense? He's struggling with that. He's trying to figure it out. Well, what does he say? And if you're opening up already, and I have it up here too, but right from the beginning in Habakkuk chapter 1, We find this going on. I mean, there we read in the first four verses, the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received from God. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law... It's paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And he starts by asking a question. His first question is this, God, why don't you listen? Why don't you care? I mean, it appears that I'm crying out to you and I'm even speaking on behalf of you and it doesn't seem like you're really listening. Are you really there? And if you are there, then do you really care? Because it seems like if you're listening, it's one of those things where, you know, a parent to a child, you know, are you you listening? Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. And then there's no behavioral response that's different. You know, by listening, I mean, are you willing to obey? There's no action that goes along with it. And he's struggling with that. Like, I don't get it. It doesn't seem like things are lining up and measuring out the way they ought to be. It seems like you're not there. You haven't heard. You're not acting. And this man of faith, this prophet, wonders if God is removed, distant, and uncaring. So guess what? You're not alone. If, if you've ever had any of those thoughts, now maybe some of you here have never wrestled with that. My guess is at some point you probably will. If you're willing to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and take this journey of faith and believe what the Bible says about who God is and And Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit who dwells us and everything. And you kind of live that out for a while. And eventually, there will probably be some point where you feel like, I don't get it. This doesn't seem right. That's where he is. So the fall is in full effect, right? The Bible tells us God created all things. This is the story of the Bible. And they're good. Then sin entered the world and everything is broken. That's the fall. Now, there's a promise of redemption where God can make begins to make things right, but he's living right here in the fall. Like, I don't see the right. I don't see the fix. All I see is the brokenness. And it's enveloping him like darkness. Justice is suspended. The wicked run rampant. And here's the thing. He's talking about God's people. (laughs) He's talking about the church, as it were. This isn't even outside. It's like, your people have gone astray. You know what? Have you ever been on the beast? Have you guys ever go on that, you know? Um, If you have been before, there's those two loops that go around. And I swear, every time I go on that, I think this is the time it's going to crash right through that, like, uh, the the wall that's there. And it's going to be done. That's part of the thrill (laughs) of it, too. But that's what he feels like. Like, we're on the beast, and it's about to go off the rails. Where are you, God, in the midst of this? What about this silence, this lack of action? Can God hear and does he care? And you know what? For many skeptics, people who would reject that there's a God or s- certainly the, the, the biblical faith too, that following Christ, it's often very personal. You know, God, God has disappointed me. I believed in him. He, he, he disappointed me. He didn't show up. How can I understand that there's a God who says he's good when this has happened in my life. And this is exactly where he is. I mean, he's trying to figure it out. If there's a God, why doesn't he act? And guess what? God's gonna answer his question. You wonder what God's answer is? He gives one. And here's where it is. Yeah, I know, that's a great gasp. That's perfect. I was like, "Ah, here it is. In chapter one, verses five through seven, here's God's response. Look at the nations and watch. Watch. And be utterly amazed, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people, they are a lot of themselves and promote their own honor. Now, that's kind of a confusing response. In a sense, he says, God, are you, are you listening? He said, yeah, I, actually I am acting, but it's not in a way that you would expect. It's not according to the plans that you would think I would do. And God effectively says in his first answer, my ways are higher than your ways. And it's not, it doesn't seem to come across in a way that's like a parent to a child saying, hey, I know what's good for you. Now take your medicine. It's him, it's God saying, you know what? I have something going on behind the scenes. It's too wonderful you to to possibly imagine, and of course it's confusing. You know what? If you could figure out everything that God is doing, He would cease to be God. By definition, God is infinite, and we are not. You're born on a certain day; you die on a certain day. If the biblical biblical uh, presentation of God is He always has been, He always will be. He sees everything. It's a little bit like a tapestry. If you step back and look at the whole, it's beautiful. If you're just looking at a tiny little piece of thread, it's just one piece of thread or maybe a little bit more. It doesn't make sense. But here's a God who's created all things, knows all things, and is working in such a way to bring his purposes about, sometimes, frankly, in ways that are terribly mysterious. It's not what you expect. But if it were what you were expect then you have something called idolatry, right? That's what I, the heart of idolatry is. I'm going to make something I can control and I craft an image or something and put it there. And if I'm tired with it, I can throw it away. The God of the Bible can't be treated that way because he's, he's entirely different. Now you have to ask the question do I believe underneath it that God is good? You know, are these things, these mysterious things he's doing for my good. And even last week when we were looking at the book of Jeremiah, because we're in Habakkuk since we're reading through the entire Bible this year, chronologically, this was one of the sections of that reading. But last week we were in Jeremiah. And even in Jeremiah, God is saying, you know what? This is just for a time, 70 years, and I'm bringing you back. I'm working in a remnant. So all these things that are hard, for those who have faith in God, you can receive that. Like a father who's disciplining his son for his good. There is an end in mind that's good. And that's part of figuring out faith. And God's reply here is then my ways are hard in your way. You know, it's not just Habakkuk who receives a response like that. Even Paul, when he's trying to figure out some really big concepts about things like, okay, so if God is God and He knows everybody who's going to receive Him. What's man's responsibility? How do those things fit together? And God's completely sovereign, but we're responsible. I don't get it. He ends up saying, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom, the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. Who can know the mind of the Lord? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? He goes on in the next verses. For from him and to him and through him, it's all the glory. And Paul ends up in this place where he says, I don't entirely get it all, but I know God (laughs) is good and that he is God. And I am not. And if it, 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 that would seem kind of harsh, if it weren't not in the context of relationship, one of the one of the great things about this book of Habakkuk and so much of the Bible is, it's this is in the context of relationship. I mean, there is there's a dialogue that's happening here, and it's not as if Habakkuk just has to be quiet because God has said it and now I can't do anything. He's actually asking God. Isn't that tremendous freedom? Here's a man of God struggling with faith who seems to have the freedom to answer, to ask God. Job did the same thing. He wrestled with this. But he felt the freedom to ask God. Now, the answers sometimes I know are not terribly palatable. It can be difficult. There's an element of mystery. But God says, I'm doing something way beyond what you could possibly imagine. And it doesn't seem good, but I got something in store. I got something in mind. It's not what you would expect. Well, you know, Habakkuk is still got issues um, with this. And he goes on at the end of verse 1, spilling into ver- chapter 2, verse 12. O Lord, here's his second argument Are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you've appointed them to execute judgment. Oh, Rock, you've ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I'll look to see what he'll say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. So the second question is basically, look, your ways appear like they're unjust. This isn't fair. And and furthermore, isn't your character compromised? Like, don't you care about the righteous and protecting them? And you're so pure that you can't look on those who are unrighteous. Why then are you taking more unrighteous people and judging us? So there's a relative scale here, God. I mean, look, we're bad, but not as bad as them. So why are you using those guys to judge us? That doesn't seem very fair at all. It's it's kind of, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, you know, we think, we think the same way, whether it's a nation or a person or an individual, you know, I mean like, okay, fine, I'm bad, but not that bad. Now, there's some leveling ground in the Bible. The Bible says, for only a couple people have sinned and fall short of God's glory, right? There's just a few people out there who've kind of messed up. Is that what the Bible says? Oh, what word does it use for sin? How many people have done it? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single, so frankly, we're all kind of on equal footing here. Now, some of us look a lot better. We know how to appear as if everything is good. And, and fr- obviously, there are some, some people who are just so out of control that it's like, wow, it's obvious. But the different, the sin, sins may be subtle or may be obvious. They're all sin. And so before God, none of us has an ability to say, how dare you judge me for my sin when that person over there is far worse. It's like, yeah, let's send a spotlight on you. I'll take care of them. And actually, that's what he says in response. The Lord replies, don't worry, I got this. Justice is going to be served. Chapter two, verses two through five. The Lord replied, write down the revelation to make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. God's expectations, or it doesn't do what we might expect, and he doesn't do it in the timing we might expect. There is an appointed time. It speaks to the end and will not prove false, though it linger. Wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See? He is puffed up. His desires are not upright, talking about Babylon. But the righteous, the contrast is the righteous will live by his faith. Indeed, wine, now again, Babylon betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and take captive all, takes captive all the peoples. And if you read on, you start seeing that there are some consequences that are going to come to Babylon, yes, in space and time, but things that are going to come even later beyond that that you'll probably never see in your lifetime. And I'm going to serve out justice you know, it's funny, most of us want justice. I mean, I don't care who you are. Believe God, don't believe in God. You have this sense that if somebody's done something wrong, they deserve some sort of consequence for that, especially if it's against you. But not so many of us are okay to receive the consequences of our own personal offenses to others. We'd like to receive grace. No, justice for them, grace for me, right? Right? <laughs> And, and that's kind of what God is saying is, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of this. And at a point in time in the future, Babylon will be dealt with. He is dealing with their sin, just as de- he's dealing with the sin of Israel in a different kind of way. And some of their sin, he says, is causing, the, it's like reaping and sowing. What they reap, you know, they're going to sow, they're going to get. I mean, they're an impetuous people, and, and yeah, I'm using them to judge you, but there's some baked-in consequences to their own sin. And you can read about some of that in Habakkuk and other places as well that they will experience. This is like, you know, our own bodies. We're designed with reaping and sowing. Like if, if you're reaping a diet of Cheetos, what was the other stuff that you had in that little skit? Cotton candy and double-stuffed Oreos, I think, and that kind of stuff like that. And You know, in... in in the short run, you may not experience some consequences, but eventually you will, you'll, you'll, what you have sowed, you'll reap. You're going to reap something, whether it's in, in weight or blood pressure or, I don't know, something. I mean, this is, this is a law God's baked in there. And he says, you know what, that's true. Even for cultures, people, whatever, they're receiving some of their just consequences. But I have something even... That's coming as well. There's a time when we all stand in judgment before God. And we have to account for everything that we've done. And those people are no exception. And they're storing up for themselves a whole bunch of hurt <laughs> in the future. Now, if God says that's true for all of us when we stand, what hope do any of us have? What hope is there? If I were to take just a moment to, to, to put on the projector here which seems to be a little off. Nothing is perfect in this world, right? <laughs> and, you, and, you were, and you were to uh, project your life on there, every single part of your life. And I just went to the highlights, the ones that are embarrassing and full of shame. And, and not just visual, but what if we could, could like color your, your thoughts on, on a picture board here and two and something. Who wants to volunteer to go first? <laughs> okay. Nobody would want to do that because we're terrified of that. There's shame. All of us standing before God, I mean, who, which one of us can stand? Which one of us can stand? There's only one person ever who did everything right and who never disobeyed. And you know who he is because you're in a Christian church. And you've already heard about him. He's Jesus, right? Christ now that's what's so significant about what we call the good news because those who have faith even if they're still trying to figure out I don't get it but they say you know I'm willing to put my trust in Christ that's the great exchange because when that when that film goes up you know what's going to happen for those who believed in Christ and who've trusted in him Christ is going to step in there and say go ahead take a look you're not going to find anything he's the perfect son and you're scrambling into the gates because he took all the punishment for you. That's why Christ is a big deal to followers of Jesus. And this is the Bible saying, there's, there is a time when all the rights will be wrong, uh, all, the, all the wrongs will be righted, and you can't stand on your own in that moment. You need an advocate. And even back here in the Old Testament, then we're being pushed to say, who's going to make that right? Can anybody stand before God? Only those who are in Christ. And maybe you caught it there. Right in the middle. See, he's puffed up, but his desires are not bright. But the righteous will live by his faith. Right over there. How do I live in the midst of all this stuff? I, I have to live by faith. And the righteous, the person who's made right with God, lives by that faith. This is something that sets some people free. You know, Martin Luther, some of you may know him. He was, a, he was a monk, and he wanted to please God. He was somebody who wanted to live life for God. And at the end of the day, his big problem was, have I done enough to be right with God? That's fundamentally what he struggled with. And every day, he, he was like, I haven't done, he was terrified, I haven't done enough to please God. I haven't done enough to please God. I'm gonna stand before God in judgment, and I won't measure up. I, I haven't done enough. And it wasn't until he really grasped this verse here, that he was set free. For in the gospel, the good news of Christ, a righteousness being, having a right standing before God. The righteousness of God's revealed. The good news of Christ. A righteousness that's by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, and he reaches back here, to, back to 586 B.C., and he pulls this verse out of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. And Paul, who's writing thousands or hundreds of years later, says, the righteous will live by faith. And that verse, Martin Luther came to understand, means like, oh, at the end of the day, when I say, have I done enough good? He's able to say, no, but thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, because he has. And he was able to say, it's not about what I've done, it's about what Christ has done. So now the issue is, my faith in the object, the object is Christ. If I'm believing in him, then I'm acceptable before God. And I have no fear of judgment, but instead the good word that came to Jesus, who said, "Well done, my good and faithful servant. See the only hope that this tortured his soul so much shame, but he set free in this, the gospel, the good news. The righteous will live by faith. When the Bible talks about faith, we'll see how this shows up. The, uh, you... you What's happening? Help. <laughs> okay, faith. I, I always think of it as three, three elements, just to say here too. If you have faith in something, you've got to have content. You have to have information. You have faith in something. You need information. So if you're considering what the Bible says, take in that information. Who is God? What does it say about man and the story of all this stuff? You take that in. But then eventually to have biblical faith, you have to believe that it's actually true, right? You move from information to You know, I think this stuff is really true. I I have conviction that it's actually accurate. But biblical faith doesn't just, a lot of people stop there. Like, yeah, I go to church, I believe it or whatever. That's not the picture of faith. The righteous will live by faith. It shapes all of your life. And that element's trust. Like, okay, God, I'm gonna live and trust in this. And it's gonna shape all of my life. That's what biblical faith is like. Now, do you think Habakkuk had a biblical faith by that definition? Yes. So I would say yes. So if you got it, if you got all this stuff, you do the the you have the content, the information, the conviction, and the trust. Then life is easy, and you never have to wonder about how does this all fit together. Of course not. That's what Habakkuk comes to and says. I've still got questions. I got issues. <laughs> But what you can do is you're, doing, you're exploring that in community and those, that schema, your way of looking at the life, it matures, it grows. You're putting more things together. You're figuring out faith. And guess what? There are going to be times when you come into a crisis of faith and you think, everything I knew is shattered. Is this really true? What I find refreshing about the Bible is you have the freedom to be in that space. You just, You do. There, there are other faith systems that don't allow you that kind of freedom. You can't ask any questions. You're not allowed to, to wonder. When I read the Bible, that's not what I discover. I discover a faith that's pretty rooted in things as they are. I'm confused. I don't get it. I thought I had this figured out. It seemed to me like if I did this, I would get this. This. And it feels like I see that in your word. I did this and I got that. (laughs) What gives? Can you say that with biblical faith? I think so. I think that's also part of how God's designed us to build that kind of trust. You know, dark moments. there's Some of the greatest theologians in history, people write about this stuff, who are honest about these things have been through really dark times where they wonder, is this real? And uh, I I don't get it. I don't understand. And some of them have written about it. Probably a lot of them haven't because they fear what might come. When I open up the pages of the Bible, I see people being pretty honest about what they're struggling with. Faith has the freedom to wonder. And so here we have this, this prophet and he's like, what is faith? So, And I'm going to, you know, just give you some real practical things, and I'll try to hit these real fast for you. Because I don't think I'm going to get to 40 minutes, but you're probably thinking I'm getting close to it. So, what does it look like? You know, I'm I'm talking about faith. That's kind of theory, content, conviction, trust, whatever, fancy words, haha. What about my life, you know? How does this really figure out? Now, Habakkuk actually shows some of what it looks like to live by faith because chapters one and two, question, answer, question, answer, and then he's just kind of showing in chapter three what does that mean for him. So just real quickly, because in these verses, he talks about it. A prayer, a prayer, Habakkuk the prophet. This is the way he ends, starts that third chapter. He says, okay, I'm going to pray about this. And then he makes these conclusions in 16 to 19. I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound, decay crept into my bones, my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls and everything's working against them, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go on the heights. And he says this whole thing he's just written is for the director of music on my stringed instrument. So he's sipping coffee. He got out his guitar And he's going to be honest with God about what he's wrestling with. And he says, Here's what it it looks like. What does faith look like? Well, first, if you want to practice biblical faith, according to Habakkuk, in the midst of all the craziness, you pray, right? You talk to God about it. He says, Here's a prayer to God. You know what? I'm going to stop talking to other people about how disappointed I am with God. (laughs) Or how confused I am. I'm going to say, God, I'm confused. That's what he's been doing. I'm going to talk to you about this. I'm going to cultivate a sense of your presence in my daily life. Whether it's something that's like in a closet, just focused, or as you're driving down the road saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You pray. I mean, honestly, what sermon doesn't end with this kind of practical thing? You pray. You talk to God. He's accessible. See? It's not like you have to wait until a Sunday morning and let somebody else shape some words. You can do it. This is is what faith looks like. You talk to God. Are you there, Lord? That's talking to God. (laughs) According to him, what does faith look like? I'm trying to give you something practical. Talk to God. I mean, you can do that in your head, obviously. Like, just whatever's going on. Lord, I'm confused. Or, Lord, have mercy. Or, Lord, Provider, I need you. Talk to him. He's not far away from each of us. That's what faith looks like. And frankly, when you talk, faith is honest. I mean, if you look at these things that he's saying, in this decay is creeping into my bones, my legs tremble. It doesn't seem like anything's going to He's just honest. So don't just pray. You don't have to say, Oh, thou God on high, thou holy God. I mean, times when that's fitting and it's true. But that's not what I read here in Habakkuk. He's like, I'm struggling. (laughs) I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm cranky. I'm confused. I don't get it. And God doesn't seem to rail him for presuming to seek some answers to the dilemma he's facing. Third, let me suggest that faith takes the long view. You're talking to God, you're being honest with Him. But then you also have to, part of what it is is like, okay, God, I have to take the long view here because I'm stuck in the moment. This is when you're wrestling. But I got to say, this is one of the reasons why I love stories of grace. And I also think that you got to look back, and the Bible does this a lot and remember. I remember when you were faithful. I remember when you rescued me from that. You didn't think Faith Malk isn't going to be sitting there at some point and wondering, God, can you heal me? And she'll think, oh, yeah, I was almost dead. And you healed me. Because you're going to have to remember that when she gets sick again and fear is gripping her heart. And her mom will too. The Bible is like, oh, you were faithful back then? I think you're going to be faithful now. I mean, you have to take also the long view. That's the past, but like the long view of like injustice is all around me. Why isn't something be done about? Oh, yeah. So it happens in Psalm 73, you know, Asaph. Why am I doing this godly thing? It doesn't seem to be paying off, frankly. All these other people here are godless, and they've got the money and the status and the influence and the girls and the boys or whatever, and it's just not paying off for me. And then God says, well, you know, come into the sanctuary, and he starts giving them a glimpse. Like, there's going to be a time when, they get, when things are settled, accounts are settled. He let me take care of that. What about you? And he, sa- he, he worships God, and he says, oh, there's a bigger plan here. And I'm just kind of stuck on stupid, which is me. It takes a long view, a long obedience in the same direction. That's a picture of biblical faith. He finds strength in, in God. By the way, the, the faith takes a long view. The fig tree doesn't bud. There's this quiet patience because he assurance that God's at work in his time. And then he actually finds strength in God. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. So if you're confused, what does faith look like? Part of what it looks like, at least, is like when you're out of your strength and your reserves, you don't find strength in something else to fix the problem. You find strength from God. I mean, he's the object of your faith. I've got no strength. I need strength from you. Because all these other things, ultimately, they'll satisfy for a little bit. Remember the broken cisterns of Jeremiah? There's only one cistern that is a well of water that never runs dry. Someone mentioned John chapter 4. Jesus with the gal, the, uh, the Samaritan, you know, at the well. Hey, you're, you keep going back to this. You get thirsty. Drink from this well, you'll never be thirsty again. That's our source of strength. And does it mean we do it perfectly or we totally get that? No, obviously not. But that's where we're directed. Come to me. All of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You're not going to find it ultimately anywhere else. Our stability isn't in ourselves or our circumstances or even our expectations being met for family, for career, for health. But it's in God. At least that's what he's saying this biblical faith looks like. We can go on to the heights even if all those aren't going according to our plans. (laughs) Life did not turn out the way I expected. Has it turned out the way you expected for anybody here so far? (laughs) Who's over the age of 40? 40. Well, I, probably 30 and maybe even 20. I mean, but if you have faith, well, that's an anchor for, for your soul, even though things aren't going according to plan. Now, finally, and I don't think this is a small thing. Faith uses its gifts. Like, what is biblical faith? What does that mean? Fine, I believe in Jesus. Well, you pray, you're honest, take the long view. This is just from Habakkuk, find strength in God. And you know what? You got something to do. God has created you in a certain way, then bring it. This is exactly what they were telling the exiles in, in Jeremiah. Seek the peace of the city, be prosperous, have sons and daughters. Because this guy's writing on a stringed instrument. Some of you are great musicians. So be musical in your faith. Express it with music. And even if it's not even directly related to that, I think by playing music, you're doing some of what God's created you to do, and you're glorifying Him in that. What are your gifts? You might think, like, oh, I'm just an accountant, I'm crunching numbers. That's kind of boring. Well, I don't know if you think that way, or I didn't necessarily think that way, or not. <laughs> I, 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 I wouldn't find it very stimulating personally. But you are created to do that. And you're glorifying God by doing it well, by making those things balance, you know, without cooking them, doing it with integrity and wisdom, like we talked about last week. Using where you are is no mistake either. I mean, do you see that this gives you freedom not just to talk to God, but to say, okay, like we said last week, I can bloom where I'm planted. Even if I don't like it, I'm living in exile. God's got something for me to do right here, right now, using whatever I have in this moment. Now that, to me, gives you a little bit of sense of purpose. Even when things seem purposeless purposeless around you, biblical faith says you're there for a reason. You can use your gifts. It's a good thing. But you know, it's hard to do this when faith is being tested. <laughs> There's quite a learning curve along the way, and maybe you've experienced some of that as well. And this God of the Bible, he's very aware of that, and very gracious and long-suffering along the way. Habakkuk is not the only person of faith who asks questions in the Bible. Abraham, the father of nations, of all nations. he struggles. He asks questions. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments, he struggled. David, a man after God's own heart, he does as well. And guess what? Jesus, the very Son of God, he asks a really hard question. When he's hanging on the cross, what does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The man of perfect faith, because at that moment, he actually takes on sin. And he knows what it's like to be forsaken by God. That's a struggling question. That's somebody who's being pretty honest. And Jesus took the long view at that moment because he knew that that temporary suffering and that rending of the perfect fellowship of the son was done for a purpose so that he could pay the price for sin so that those who have faith in him would never have to know what it's like to be forsaken by God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And guess what? It's right here in the book of Habakkuk. The righteous will live by faith. So the opportunity you have now it's a dialogue with that. You know, do I believe this? Is this, is this new information? Do I believe it? Am I going to trust in it? And that's the journey of faith that begins. It's just by saying, okay, I may not understand everything. Welcome to the club. But I'm willing to go on this journey with Christ, the good shepherd, as my God. Father, I do thank you We're going to be looking at, you know, kind of the shepherd's life in the weeks to come with Ezekiel. There's a lot of bad shepherds (laughs) along the way. They're just not good. And the people are being misled. But they're all pointing to the one good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. So that they could know what it's like. Not just to have life some point in the future, but to experience it now. In common, in fellowship but the God who knows us and loves us and created us. So Father, come, do what you will in our hearts, and let us not leave this moment behind. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.